Hello and welcome to my series of conversations with stalwarts of music. Today's episode is being partnered along with Perpetual Buzz Experiences. They are an artist representation company with three very basic but lofty goals. They're the launchpad for a lot of indie musicians, helping them leverage success in the best possible way. And they also make sure that the entire experience is worthwhile. Do check them out on www.perpetualbuzz.com. And we have yet another podcast partner, which is Wire Up Music Store, which is one of the finest music retail stores with state-of-art equipment. Your one-stop solution, ranging from guitars to ukulele to percussive instruments to classical instruments. Do check out their Instagram handle at the rate wireup.india. Speaking of my distinguished guest for today, my guest today is a Grammy award-winning musician, one of the most accomplished international bass players, composers and multi-instrumentalists. He's got a very unique sound and a vocal gift that he's been continuously trying to express for several decades now, and he has African roots. His music addresses the continent's traditions, beauty, and a lot of social issues. His purpose and the way he connects with his audience has turned him into a very staple but big name in the world of jazz and Afropop music. He stored, composed, recorded in different musical forms with legends like Harry Belafonte, Quincy Jones, Chick Corea, Sting, Mike Stern and many more. He's highly involved in developing better music business practices and ethics. He's someone who stands by that. His signature series collaboration is with the Italian-based band called Mark Bass, which has positioned him as one of the most creative and best-selling bass amps in the world today. Without any further ado, I'm delighted to welcome my guest for today, Monsieur Richard Bona. Thank Namaste. You. Na- Namaste, Namaste, Mr. Bona. Thank you. Very How are you? Much. How are you doing? I'm doing excellent. I'm doing good. What about Thank you? Very well, very well. I couldn't be happier than talking to one of my biggest uh, musical inspirations and musical idols. And uh, I would like to get started uh, with our agenda for today. But before we get started with our agenda, I have a question for you, Mr. Bona. There's a big mystical music voodoo box that is full of secrets within you. If I were to ask you the right questions... Do you think I might be able to open the box and unfold the secrets, maybe? If it's a secret, and then if I tell you, then it's not a secret anymore. <laughs> well, uh, we'll, we'll... Secrets we'll, are, not be, are not meant to be told. That's secrets right. Secrets are meant to be kept. You that's see? right. So yeah. Once we open the box, and then they're no longer a secret out. So you, so you choose to sort of uh, keep your your signature traits confidential. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, the secrets <laughs> are all kept. <laughs> <laughs> lovely, lovely. So let's get started with our agenda for today. I have a couple of interesting questions coming your way. So let's start at the beginning. You were born in 1967 in the town of Minta, which is in Cameroon. What sort of a family were you born into? I was born in a very remote place. First, Minta is, uh, is uh, 
in the eastern part of Cameroon. So mm -hmm. it's not like in a big city, so really far uh, from, from the capital, for example. So I was born in a very remote place, mm -hmm. but uh, music was, uh, we were so attached to the music. My, my grandfather, my all my grand uncles and all, all of these these folks were playing music. Yeah, you know they were all they 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 were mostly like traditional musicians mm -hmm. and uh, and storytellers and uh, you know and uh, as you know in our culture in Africa uh, we associate we associate music with everything you know with our custom practices and uh, we and we do everything with music could Got be it. a wedding could be baptism could be a uh, a newborn coming could be uh, uh, somebody dying. We always have to inject the music into a situation. So I understand. So I, well, that's the environment I was born into. So and uh, so I just you know you pick up whatever is your surrounding, and the first thing I could pick up quickly were was the percussion, the balafon. So I started to play balafon. You know. Wow. Because my grandfather used to take me to rehearsals when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't remember. It's just uh, the story they tell me used to take me to rehearsals. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was pretty much uh, very active. You know, as a kid, I was you know, easy to be engaged and stuff. But mm -hmm. uh, it looks like the only thing that kind of calmed me down was the sound of a balafon. Every time we went, he went to a rehearsal. Mm -hmm. When I started to play balafon, that was the moment that I was kind of like, it's like, decided to build me a balafon when I was three years old. Oh, wow. We had this beautiful balafon, mm -hmm. and uh, I became quite at home. And I started to just bang in the balafon every day, banging on the balafon. So that's how I started. And by five, I joined the band. I used to, I joined there. They abandoned it. So my first instrument was the balafon and uh, and playing percussion too. So that's the environment I was mm -hmm. I was born in. Got it. So would it be right to say that music in the sense was inherited through your genes almost from whatever I get? Okay. Absolutely, because my mother my mother sing, singing was, you know, out of scale, completely so beautiful, you know, it's uh you know, so I was kind of, I was in the bed listening to all these beautiful melodies I get. And once I got up, <laughs> I just picked up <laughs> what was there. <laughs> Lovely. I mean, it's it's so inspiring to see someone probably at the age of five, I gather you started making your own set of instruments uh, that included flutes and uh, guitar. So were you, were you the self-disciplined young boy with such an early sensibility? I mean, it was just my environment. I don't think I was more more disciplined than any other kid. It was just my own environment. I mean, if you wanted to be, wanted to play an instrument, you you were going to build it. Mm -hmm. It was an environment where if I want a cable here, I'm in Miami Beach. If I need a cable, I just go to Guitar Center or I go <laughs> to any store and pick up a guitar and buy a guitar. Where I was born, you 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 are going to build your own instrument. So Got it. when I wanted to play flute, you know, I climbed the you know the, the papaya tree, cut those and things that side and dry them, 
and put holes and tune it. And uh, that was my fruit right there. And you wanted to play balafon, same thing. You climb the tree, you cut this thing down, tune it, cut out pieces, you know, make them look good, put the calibers down and all those things. Because nobody would do it for you. And they're not stores, they're not shops. So uh, what you have left out there, you do it on your own. So and, uh, that's that was my surrounding. So it wasn't like I was just gifted. It's a human, something that we have in us. We find ways, you know, especially when it becomes a passion. You know? When it's a passion, nobody can stop it. Of course. And, and uh, but would it, would it be right to say that you had a very uh, high intellect in terms of understanding dynamics of these instruments? Because it's, it's no, it, it's such a big deal to sort of create an instrument altogether. If you were to ask me to make a guitar, I'd, uh, I'd have no clue how to go about it. But, but at the age of five, you've, you've sort of created an instrument, understanding the dynamics of it, understanding uh, a lot of technicalities associated with that instrument. Because, you know, because right now, if you're in Mumbai, uh-huh. you, you cannot do it. But if I take you right now and put you in your Kaduma, uh-huh. where you don't have, you're not in the Mumbai environment, then your brain started to think different. Ooh, it's a human thing. I don't think I was more, but definitely one thing, the music spoke to me easily. I think that's one thing that spoke to me mm-hmm. uh, 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 in a direct way more than anything else. Like I build my balafon and somehow my own logic, I, I tune my balafon chromatically. Okay. Somehow okay. my brain, even five, uh, uh, the sound, I understood that the sound should, this is how the sound should go. Mm-hmm. I build a chromatic balafon. I was maybe six, not five exactly. Mm-hmm. But at that time, my brain already understood. But that's all I did all the time. Yeah. Singing, playing, listening always. And it's the only thing that kind of captured my attention. So when something captures a kid's attention, trust me, he's going to put his whole, his whole mind into it. And uh, you're just starting to replicate things that are appearing into your vision, somehow, a higher vision. So it's not something. You know, I just think music spoke has uh, spoken to me mm-hmm. uh, directly in a in a very you know in a good way. So and I captured the whole thing, and still today, you know, I still have same passion burning inside, mm-hmm. and I love playing, man, all the times. I love playing all the times. <laughs> you know, I never got tired. You know, so it's the same way, but it's different now because you know. Uh, live the life that I live as a professional musician, traveling the world, living in the one most beautiful capital in the world. If I want an instrument now, I'm not going to climb a tree today <laughs> <laughs> to do it. I can't even climb a tree at these days. You know, <laughs> I may take the tree down. <laughs> uh, so, so did you did you manage to absorb all of these skills from your environment which sort of prompted you to head in this direction? Is, would, would it be right to say that? Yeah. I have to say, you know, by, by the age of eight, nine, I absorbed mm-hmm. so much music. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I, like, I was playing seven days a week. Wow. I grew up playing seven days uh-huh. a week. I mean, Ceremonies, churches, funerals. Oh man, I, <laughs> to the point where 
my voice was always gone as a kid because uh, I used to sing every every day, every night, and stuff. So, and uh, it sounded like my natural voice. It wasn't my natural voice. When I was a kid, people thought my voice was. Hey. <laughs> it wasn't my natural voice. It was because, and I was singing nonstop, you know, and uh, and it's just when I started to when I went in in, in a city when. Uh, my father got a job as a truck driver, so he moved the family. They got to see that I was in his own. And then when I got when I got there, I wasn't singing as I was in the village. Mm-hmm. And uh, my voice changed right there in a week only. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, at a later point, you know, as you as teenage kicked in and then you wanted to pursue this a little more seriously. You emigrated to Germany, I believe, at the age of 22. Uh, why did you choose to make this move? Was the ambition to move on to grander or and more comprehensive music being born inside in? Uh, I, I was actually, 22 was France, but before Germany was 20. Okay. Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't my, my initiative. It wasn't, it wasn't from me. It wasn't okay. something that I initiated. Uh, was something initiated by uh, an institute, the German institute, having me travel to Essen, close to Dusseldorf. Mm-hmm. But I, I, the barrier of language uh, uh, made it very uncomfortable, you know, because also uh, the education system there, when you take a musician, by the time I was 20, I'm already a professional musician. I'm talking professional musician, living, you know, uh, I started, I was a professional musician. I was 13 years old. So by the, by the time I was 20, uh, uh, taking me to study music, starting as a classical with people, that was just, you know, one single note, holding the note and all, which is classical, you know, it's one of the best, you know, if, if I had to go and study music, I was studying classical music. Mm-hmm. But I felt like by, by the time I was 20, it was already too late. So I went back again home. And then I choose to go to France. And also there were that, you know, language barrier that, you know, the barrier of language is such a, especially when you're reading adults, you know, because I, I consider myself back then, by the time I was 20, I was an adult. You know, I wasn't a kid anymore. Because when you're a kid, you have that capacity to absorb a, a, a lot of languages. But at the time you 15, 16, 16 17, mm-hmm. becomes impossible. And uh, not impossible, it becomes more uh, a bigger challenge. And that wasn't yeah. a challenge to me. I didn't want to, you know. So I felt like, no, this is not. Uh, and then I went to France when I was 22. Mm-hmm. And I stayed in France about five years, a little less than five years. And then I felt also like same thing. I felt like France was not a place for me, you know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't make it here because, uh, you know, like when I got to France, they labeled me. The places where they just label you like as the bass player. But mine, I'm like, I'm not just a bass player, man. <laughs> I play the guitar just like I play the bass. I play percussion even better than the bass. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a singer. And I remember sometime when I was I tell people, you know, I'm a singer too. People like, friends like, no, you you're a bass player. And then uh and I started to have some problems in France, also, you know, to renew my 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 residence, mm-hmm. my 
residency and uh, I decided to to go to the US. That's how I landed in New York. Mm-hmm. And I got in New York and finally on this quest and search of so many years, finally find a place where I felt like, wow, this place resonates. Like I would love it to resonate. <laughs> New York was the place where I felt like, okay, this is okay. this is my this is my this is my town. This is my home. Because uh Found people more, you know. I really find like fighters and people, players, and uh, you know, you you get a result immediately. You know, you have a project. It doesn't take it doesn't take it doesn't take a week or a month to find out what the project is about. We make it sound immediately, you know, and you get an idea what it's about, what it's all about, and uh, that's what happened. So. That's my trajectory. So Germany was not, I don't think was not a place because uh, everything mm-hmm. has to kind of, you know, it's synchronization. Correct. Everything has to come in place yeah. for you to feel good. And I'm that kind of person, you know, I'm not, I'm not scared to go and start a, or do something anywhere. You know, I trust myself, you know, like arriving in New York, I had $420 in the pocket in my base. That's all I had, you know. I had no place to go, nothing. But I, but I was so confident, so confident and calm. And uh, this is when you have a plan, because if you have a plan, you must have a plan all the time. Right. Any stage in your life, yeah. always have a plan and execute your plan. And that's what I did. And uh, Germany wasn't a place because I wasn't feeling that like I could execute any plan. You know, people were nice. I mean, people brought me there. They, they, they fly me up there and all this thing. They had a place to stay, to tell them. Took me there, had a place to stay and all this thing. But also what? And then I got to New York. I had no place to stay. I had no money. I threw myself and all this thing, but I felt comfortable. <laughs> so it's not about even the comfort that they give into you. know, you give yourself that mental comfort to understand that this is the place for me to stay executive. Got it, got it. Uh, you did speak about uh, adaptation and I'm sure you've adapted well. And uh, you also spoke of the fact that, you know, you've sort of like inculcated uh, a flair for lang- uh, languages, right? So I was intrigued by the fact that Cameroon, where you come from, has over 250 languages, some of them being Afro-Asian, uh, Nilo-Saharan, Ubangian, and many more. So how many varieties can you speak and how many are you planning to teach me? <laughs> uh, I, I speak about seven. I can teach you a few words, but uh, uh-huh. uh, what do you want to know? Like, uh, I uh, can teach do, you... Uh, how do I say I'm having a good time uh, with Mr. Bona? <laughs> wow, that is <laughs> that is so hard to sort of comprehend. Could you could you break it down for me? I'm having a good time. You see, Kundabwam. Uh-huh. It means uh, you know I'm trying. I'm 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 giving you like a straight up like first of all to give traduction of one language to another one. It's it's not. Language is no, the, the sounds of language are not the same, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm having a good time with, you know, you will go 
Punda bwam na rishapona. Okay. You know? Okay. Nabona. Nobody will say preach it. No. <laughs> you know? Wonderful. You know, I'm going to teach you Hindi in return. So you teach me a little bit of what you know and I'm going to teach you a little bit of Hindi too because considering you love singing in Hindi. <laughs> How do you know? I well, uh, well, uh, well, I did, uh, I did hear of you doing a wonderful version of Teri Diwani by uh, the popular Kailash Khel. Oh, Kailash Khel. Yeah. Kailash Khel. Yeah. It, it was such a beautiful rendition, I must say. Hats off to you to sort of, you know, do it in your style. And you've added your flavor to it. It sounded so beautiful, you know. I love imitating Indian singers, <laughs> to be honest. I mean, your approach to this in India is just amazing and uh, beautiful. And, uh, and the same thing, it's just the uh, first thing I went to India was Mumbai, my first, my uh-huh. first trip to India. Whoa, okay. <laughs> I was lost. <laughs> yeah. I was, I love the melody, but how do these people, how do they get to sing like that? How do they, you know, but yeah. that's what makes it beautiful around the world. You know? And uh, I consider myself being a student. Yep. a student of this art uh-huh. and I want to be a student the rest of my life so I get to appreciate all this beautiful beautiful uh, melody so I'm glad you heard me singing in Hindu and uh, and I want to hear more of it I want to hear you sing more I want uh, to be a singer no <laughs> I will sing more you know <laughs> yeah that, that's what With we the want song, the one is beautiful song it's a beautiful song it's beautiful. Lovely, yeah. lovely. So, so and around w- the world, around uh-huh. the world, music. This is how. This is this is how. Yeah. This world is a, is a human heritage. You know that's why I love so much the difference. I keep uh-huh. telling people, you have no idea. What makes me sing this melody now is because you embrace a difference. Once you embrace a difference, you embrace a tolerance. And once you embrace a tolerance, then the world belongs to you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I'm sure it's such a blissful uh, situation like you mentioned. Uh, yeah. you've, you've visited India on multiple occasions. And what was your experience here like? And have you developed affinity towards other Indian musical forms too? Well, I haven't been in India so many times. I went to India uh, last time I was supposed to go again with for the that was a TED conference. Yeah. And then uh, it was the beginning of the COVID and yeah. it didn't it didn't happen. So I went to India actually three times, not that much. Yeah, I went to India only three times, and uh, that was the time when I did. Uh, and then there was another time where I went to record. Actually, I went to record a song called Shiva Mantra. Oh wow! I record a song called Shiva, Shiva Mantra with uh-huh. uh, had two guest singer, Kamahadev, Shankar Mahadevan, yeah, Mahadevan, uh-huh. Nandini also singing in there, and uh, a lot of uh, who was the sitar player? Oh my God, I'm forgetting. Names now, uh-huh. and a Ganjira player, and uh, you know, wonderful Indian musicians. Uh-huh. And because uh, I was write something here, I can't leave India without writing something. I gotta write something, put something, put something. So I came <laughs> up with this yeah. Shiva mantra. 
uh-huh. and uh, fantastic. I love to go back again. You know, this thing just this this two years of uh, confinement and stuff mm-hmm. just put a stop into everything. It looks like everything, but you know what? We are here. We're still alive, and hopefully, I get go. Uh, I get I get to go back again. Yeah. Uh, on that note, I'd love to sort of host you in India. I'd love to show you different Indian uh, musical forms like Hindustani, Please. Carnatic, uh, apart from the commercial Bollywood that you listen to. Uh, I would also love to uh, bring you down to the southern part of India, which is very rich in terms of Carnatic music and uh, you know classical musical forms. Yeah. Uh, and and great food. So Let's that- go. that that calls that calls for you to come here real soon you know <laughs> <laughs> let's go baby i love i love indian food <laughs> yeah so my one of my band members probably laughing now when i say oh, first time we went to india you know we eat in africa we eat like spicy we eat uh, spicy food and stuff yes so the guy asked us you want spicy i said yeah, of course yeah i want spicy uh-huh. told me my friend are you sure i said Come on, man! What do these Indian guy thinks? And come on, man! This is Africa. <laughs> put me some spice. He put some spice there. Yeah, yeah. I almost died that night. <laughs> But what did you have? Oh, what what, what did he? What did he give you? What meal was it? It was just a curry, something a biryani or curry, something like that. Got it. And uh, and this you wanted hard or some and I and my my attitude was like yeah of course I wanted hard what are you who are you talking to you know man let me tell you Indian hard is a different level of hard yes yes <laughs> but the food is good fantastic I all had fun you know yeah we, we, we call it from spice Africa is spice India is spice you yeah. know. Yeah. We know the spice girls, man. We're the real original spices, man. <laughs> <laughs> so you know the, the spice. You know when when you have like the spice bit, and when you have the hot bit, we call it like we call it garam masala in India. Garam masala. <laughs> yeah. Garam masala. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, speaking of your. major collaboration with the great harry belafonte my biggest inspiration uh you've you've played with him for a bit and you you were made a musical director for his project back in 98 so i've got two questions how important is it for young musicians to apprentice with an elder and what did this relation with mr belafonte mean to you it meant a lot it meant a lot uh for for many reasons because uh i just arrived in new york city like mm-hmm. i told you i just arrived in new york, and that was my first job everybody from the gave me my first job yeah and uh cuz you know my when i say first job i used to gig and there so but those were like gigs but this was like my first official uh-huh. job with uh-huh. a track and all so, yeah and uh, as musical director Okay. And, uh, uh, I did. I did that for two years. It was uh, I was already even if I was already a professional musician and stuff. It was such of a beautiful school, beautiful school of music. Beautiful school. That's where I learned how to run the stage. You know, because 
you could become a leader not, not knowing how to run the stage. Now you're playing with Ariel Lafonte, man. You know how to run the stage, the business side of it too. Because, you know, once I was a musical director, I had access to all the little things behind the stage, you know, with, with the tour manager, with, uh, you know, I had access to it. I used to bother him, you know, with questions. I used to bother him all with questions. So how's this game? How's this? And he told me everything. I, I to, he told me everything. And I remember that moment, Colombia, Sony Colombia wants to sign me. Wow. For example, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you an example of uh, the kind of why this gig was so important, because he was also my closest advisor and a friend, even if the distance of age. Yes. Because who else than Harry Belafonte knows, you know, who knows this this platform better than Harry Belafonte? Yeah. I remember just I didn't have money to hire a lawyer. That is young lawyer who's popular now. I won't, I won't give his name, but I was his client. So I would call him Peter. Then I tell Peter, man, I bought Peter's suit and everything. Go and represent me at, the, at, at Sony. You know, they want to sign me. He got the contract, everything. He went to the meeting. Uh, I remember the head of the department there back then. What was his name? Jeff. Jeff called me and said, man, your lawyer is not good. This is who is there. This is not a good lawyer. This he knows nothing about business. But don't worry, we'll find you a good lawyer. Mm-hmm. So I got stressed again because I'm like, oh my God, I I worked so hard. I finally found a young lawyer to represent me, but the record company don't like my lawyer. Yep. So I went to the real so Harry Belafonte. And looking at so what about your contract? How's your contract? Go on. Say, man, the guy, my attorney went to, to, to the meeting last week. I mean, last, last Friday, because it was Monday morning. Mm-hmm. Last Friday. So, what happened? See, well, the record companies, they don't like my lawyer. Immediately, he told me, keep that lawyer. I'm like, Harry, they don't like this lawyer. Say, yeah, I know. That lawyer, you see, and I went home. I'm like, Rick is about to find me the lawyer. They gave me the name as Davis lawyer. People shook us to represent. They don't like the other. Yeah. And then I thought again. I say, but every told me my lawyer. I kept that lawyer till today. He's still my lawyer. Oh that wow! That was one of his. That was the greatest moves. That I, so studying and learning is not always about taking a, an instrument, just somebody who's yeah. going to teach you the chord and all this. This is good, but it's called music business. So you can learn from all yeah. outside of, uh, yeah. Yeah. Big black. And uh, so I did Harry. I did Harry there for two years. And then uh, they finally signed me with my, my lawyer. The lawyer wow. didn't like me anyway. So, and uh, I did two beautiful, two of my, two of my first albums were, were done Sony back then in New York. Incredible. So Harry Belafonte contributed a lot yeah. to my, uh, my rival and everything. That was my first, my first, my first job. That's how I bought my first house. And it was, it's important. Those are the... <laughs> So I have this uh, very big confession to make. Uh, Harry Belafonte 
was my first musical memory. Uh, my grandfather introduced me to Mr. Belafonte. Uh, we had this little national Panasonic tape recorder at our uh, home. And I used to come there for summer vacations. I was three years old back then. And uh, the first ever song that I heard was uh, the Banana Boat song. <laughs> what a beautiful song, you know? Yeah. That, that, that kind of inspired me to listen to more music and explore music from the West. And, yeah. and if, I'm, if, I, if I'm not wrong, uh, my first memory of you was... Uh, on the concert, along with Mr. Belafonte, you were wearing this cute little hat, and you were playing a Fender. You were playing a Fender jazz bass, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, guitar and Fender jazz bass. Yeah. It was probably Jamaica Favel. You were you were doing that song. It was I was mesmerized. You know, I was I was yeah. as, I was as young as a three year old boy, and uh, watching all all of these musicians come together. Uh, spread a beautiful message through their music was probably the most inspiring thing uh, for me. And, and thank you so much for that, Mr. Bona. Straight from the heart. Thank you. Yeah, Harry, Harry is a legend, man. It's as, you know, and I got to tell you so much, so many stories. I could tell you, I could tell you <laughs> thousands of stories, Harry, you know. And uh, yeah. so it was a beautiful school for me. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, even in terms of, uh, <laughs> I remember one of my first, no, it was actually my first show uh-huh. in Inglewood, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. My very first show, the musical director with him and stuff, he came to me after sound check. Uh-huh. He said, so, boss, you ready? He said, yeah, I'm ready. So you sure you're ready? I'm like, come on, man. I mean, we rehearsed for a month or something. <laughs> now you tell, you're asking me if I'm ready. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. I, I, I'm the team is ready. Everybody's ready. He said, "No, you're not." I said, "Why you not?" He said, "Look at your cable. You see, this is unacceptable." You know, I never really pay attention to my cable. I just it looks like all oh, messy on the floor. Uh-huh. Care about the sound. And I look at it. Actually, I'm like, man, this <laughs> shit looks messy though. <laughs> and I try to. It's like. Don't touch it. He kneeled down himself and put all my cable in place, taped them. He asked for the tape to Norman Riley called, Oh, I need a tape. Tape on my seat. And he told me, Now you're ready. And he walked to his dressing room. That day, I to clean my <laughs> So you would think, Oh, I'm already good. I play good. I guess this is it. And now. So much to learn, always, always keep that. So, and till today, you know, I'm like, whatever I can learn, it's a bonus. I'm guessing, you know, of course, like the discipline and and how organized he was sort of made him the successful person that he is today. And I think all of these sort of like culminate to make uh, a world class musician. Oh, you have to. You have to, you don't become, you don't become a, a, a great act so fast like that. You yeah. need to accumulate many, so many different experiences, different situations, mm-hmm. even the bad situations too, for you to learn. You know, I walk in a room one time, 
uh, one of my first big gig in New York too, you know. They say we start at 10 o'clock. Then I got there at 10. Because to me, yeah. when I lived in France, where is it 10 o'clock, it's 10 o'clock, I get there at 10. Yeah. But when I got at 10, I walk in the room everybody was already there. And on their instrument, warming up and all this thing. That was the longest work of my entire life mm-hmm. to get to my bass amp. <laughs> and you had Mike Breaker was there, you had Steve Gadd, you had, and I'm like, oh my God, all these guys are already here. People that you admire that you, you know, they got here two, three hours before you got here. So those are the moments also that you, you get to learn, you know. Yeah. Those moments will happen. You know, you don't have to blame yourself. Don't feel bad about it. But that moment is right there. That moment to teach you, hey, 10 o'clock is not 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock means 8.30, the latest nine. You get there and get your stuff ready. And the wheels are spinning at 10. One, two, three, you're ready to hit. And that's how I became now. So, you know, and you implement that a lot. You know, when you see people always kind of late, it comes from upstairs. You know, you look at my bands of all, uh, all these uh, groups that uh, where I'm a leader, they, the guys, they know, man. You know, Rich is going to be there. Yeah. Rich is going to be the first out there. Sometimes I get beat, but they know I'm going to be there. I'm not going to be late. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. So since we are already in the topic of being bona fide, uh, your artistry, your persona. I see that you get lumped with several many musicians, but you seem to transcend that and it's beyond that. So you have a, a much more unique thing that sort of gives you your identity as a musician. I can tell the lineage of some of the bass lines that I can hear from your music. There's a culmination of Western influences with some very strong African roots. When someone says, give me the bona fide flavor, how would you describe that? How do I just to say? Because it comes from a combination of a lot of a lot of different different instruments. You know, I I played bass. I was already I was already a professional musician. Bass was not like, for example, uh, you name me, like give me a bona fide line. But the bass, when you listen to me playing bass, mm-hmm. if you listen carefully. You know I played the guitar before. Yeah. If you listen carefully, you know I played percussion. Correct. Before. Correct. You know, so it's a combination. Of that. If you listen clearly, you will hear a little bit of Jacko in there. Because also when this is how I got I got the bass. Yeah. I started. I played bass because I heard Porter Tracy. I never, <laughs> never, I never planned to play bass before that. <laughs> The bass was there, just the other instrument wasn't attracted to it until I heard, uh, until I heard Jacko's Jacko's first record. So it's it's a combination of all those things where you hear my roots, you hear like you say a little bit of Western, a little bit of that, and little, but that's that's me, you know. And uh, and I'm glad, you know, uh, uh, after after all these years now, you can you can have you I could have my own identity and my own sound, my own, you know approach or whatever you call it. Uh, let, me, let me share a comment with you based on what you said. So I've heard a lot of people say that uh, Mr. Richard Bona's music grows on one. Uh, the more you hear it, the more you like it. 
So does this suggest that the feel is more to the heart than the head? More emotional perhaps than cerebral? I'm not a cerebral person. I think I'm more into... When it comes to music, mm -hmm. I don't keep it, you know, when I'm practicing, yeah. When it comes to write, writing music and uh, playing music, I think I go by what I feel in my heart, whatever resonates in my heart. Because I'm always trying to be the person listening to Richard Bonner. I'm my own listener and I'm my own player. So uh, I want to make sure the person who is listening to me, I could lift his spirit up. And uh, when it's too, it becomes too cerebral, yeah. we kind of boring because uh, people like to listen to something that they could they could feel connected with. Yeah. To feel connected with something is something you can eyes and your heart full of you know like feel embraced with it. But once they don't understand how do you want to appreciate something they don't understand. Yeah. And think of it in the audience. You look in the audience in general, 80% or more of the audience where we play, more than 80% of people cannot mm -hmm. hear an instrument. But they could feel. Yeah. They could feel something. You know? So once you start playing all this, to these people that don't even play, that can even find a C major chord <laughs> on any instrument. It becomes really a little, a little kind of hard for them to, so mm -hmm. you, when I'm on stage, I'm trying to connect everybody, you mm -hmm. know, musicians and uh, policemen or any, anybody out there, trying to get them to connect with what I'm doing. So I think that's, that's where I get this approach where I go like, it has to come from my heart than coming from a place or technical or, you know, the speed or whatever. So would it be right to say human emotions more than technical virtuosity any day? Would that, would that be your ideology? Yeah, I would say human emotion, yeah. I would tend to say more, uh, to say human emotion more than anything else. Got it. You worked with quite an eclectic bunch of musicians that, of course, includes uh, Mr. Harry Belafonte, uh, Quincy Jones, Bobby McFerrin, Shaka Khan. In what ways do you think the cross-cultural influences you have had has influenced your work? So did some of these collaborations help in identifying your style as to what is meant for you and what is not meant for you? Oh, <laughs> that's a twisted question. <laughs> uh, first of all, people, when when all these people you mentioned, mm -hmm. when they call me, or in general, they're the one that called me because they're the elders. You know, uh, I wouldn't be a young musician trying to uh, calling Quincy to collaborate or calling Bobby McFerrin or calling Harry Rafante. They 
they will have to call. Right. Uh, and that's right. why. And I think in order for them to call me, mm-hmm. there are many musicians out there. There's so many musicians in the city like New York. Musicians everywhere. But why, why, why did they pick me? They probably picked me because of uh, that little touch of originality. Right. You know what I mean? To have your own color, your own little word into that music that you could bring into it, I guess. And uh, that's how I get. That's how I get to choose musician too, because yeah. you know. I don't pick musician in my band. I want somebody, I want anybody who, who has good knowledge, mm-hmm. who can improvise, who can, who, you know, who could blow, who can, mm-hmm. who could do this, but who wouldn't do it as his first choice. You understand? Yeah. I want somebody who's got that luggage, who's got that baggage of, and knowledge and all this thing, but but we wouldn't have the choice to use it first. We'll have a choice to listen and to bring something his own color, exactly. Out of the box. Yeah. I prefer that most of the time. Lovely. People have always looked at the relationship between music and divinity right so uh di- if i were to consider divinity and its music it, mu- there is it, it's sort of a route towards divinity so have you ever felt that kind of a relationship are you someone who believes in god and how does it express itself i don't believe in god mm-hmm. this may have to be honest okay you know okay but I believe into a force. Okay. Believe in something. Was, this is not made by uh, not a coincidence. Right. And I see this music and I was saying every morning and I wake up every morning around 5, 5.30, you know, mm-hmm. look up at the sky, walk around the sea and all those things. So I'm surrounded with amazing nature. Mm-hmm. This is coincidence. But I'm not going to tell you it's God because who is God finally? You know? And then uh, if I have to put an image for God, who's God? You're God to me. You see what I mean? This life is to me is, a, uh, to me is about love and uh, respect. You know? Loving others, respect others. And when the others, it's not only, only human or species or move, movable things. It's my surrounding. Mm-hmm. My surrounding, all of these trees around here, yeah. they're living a life. <laughs> they have a right to this life, <laughs> just like <laughs> I do too. <laughs> so, this is God to me. The nature, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, has an appearance, you know, more to what I would call God. Maybe God is just transforming himself himself into this to show me 
is that yes, but I wouldn't call something somebody somewhere hiding somewhere until I see him. I wouldn't, you know. Yes, so I believe in sovereignty conception in the music and behind what surrounds me, you know, behind people that I meet all the time, you know, those are gods to me, you know, each one of them, you know, and uh, and every time I show them love. Every time I show them respect, I feel like, you know, can you imagine we're seven billions of people? <laughs> seven billions or more. And we don't look like. <laughs> it's crazy. We got seven billion gods. <laughs> <laughs> you know, seven billion. You take doves, we be confusing things. You take uh, some opossum, some, if I took some, uh, I don't know, I got a few lizards here, you know, iguanas and stuff. Uh-huh. Three of them, I wouldn't even make a difference anymore. They look, to me, they look like, but man, human beings. Correct. Just the fingerprints. Look at the fingerprints. Out of seven billions, they are different fingerprints. That's crazy. <laughs> I mean, Sometimes I just go crazy with some, so many questions, but that's what makes this life so mysterious and interesting and, uh, and very inspiring in a way. You did, you did speak about the aspect of the mystical, like you just mentioned. Uh, does it sort of create a proclivity of interest as to something beyond the mystical? No, really, I'm not mystical. <laughs> you know, what is happening is just what is happening. It's right there to me. I don't see anything mystical. And what is mystical out there, I don't even want to know it. I'm going to keep it mystical. Because uh, I think if I knew, then that's it. <laughs> you know, I want to stay right here. I know that I don't know. And the more I know, less I know. I want to keep it that way and stay a student of music. Whatever is mystical out there, keep it mystical. Keep me, keep me guessing. Because that's what gives me that envy and searching. Because, you know, I'm a human being. Once I discovered the mystery, then what lives out there? There's no longer mystery. That's it. That's the end of the road. And I don't want this world to end. You see? I don't want to be in the front line there. I don't want to be number one. I don't want to be, it's boring. You know? I know, I want to be inside the path, but keep climbing, keep climbing, keep climbing. You can have that need of keep climbing, keep climbing. Because you know what? Once you're number one, in a way, when you're number one, okay, you're on the top of a mountain. Once you reach, and you get on top of a mountain, the only place left to go. <laughs> Downhill. <laughs> and I'm not going down here. I'm not yeah. going down. I'm a climber, you know, and uh, I want to have that a state of mind of a climber all the time. So I don't want to, I don't want to dig out there trying to know the mystery behind this. It's called mystery. Leave it alone. <laughs> it's a very, very lovely take towards life in general. <laughs> Yeah, you know, 
So you've embarked on perhaps quite an ambitious venture by putting out your latest song Duru Wakani if if I'm right in pronouncing that. Uh you you have dabbled into an all new world of electronic dance music. What's the story behind it? Could you tell our viewers about it? Well, there is a new wave. I will call this a new wave of Afrobeat they call it. Uh-huh. You know, and reggaeton and Afrobeat. And I live in the epicenter of it right now. I live in Miami because I used to be in New York uh, pre-COVID. Now I'm in Miami and that music is taking over. But what we call Afrobeat today was initiated actually not far from where I grew up by in Nigeria by uh, uh, artists like uh, Sonny Okuzum or Fela or You know, so this music used to come to us easily. So I grew up listening to this music. So, and uh, and I'm like, you know what? Let me attack this platform too. So, you know, not attack. Let me embrace this platform too, and see what's gonna happen. It's something that I like. I'm really doing it. You know, you know, and uh, I love to adapt to to the new. I love to adapt my music to to the new scene. This is a new scene now. Yeah, you know, and uh, I'm a, you know, like I have TikTok. My son <laughs> told me you have to have a TikTok, daddy. I'm like TikTok. What am I gonna do in TikTok? He said the same thing you've been doing on Facebook. Okay, well, I open the TikTok. You know, it's fun. You know, and uh, <laughs> it's not for my generation. I don't think it's for a generation, but it's out there. You know. It's not a bad thing. So I, I like to adapt to the new scene and all this, and that's what I did with Duru Wakani. And I wrote so many pieces, also similar kind of pieces. I wrote so many uh, during the during the COVID uh, when we were confined home and stuff. Mm-hmm. So let's see. It puts a lot of great music coming. A lot of great music is coming. Bring it on! Yeah. We were really looking forward to a lot of it. Yeah. But the first time when I heard this song. I thought this could be very well bundled onto a very popular Bollywood movie, and it would blow up the music charts out here if this song were to be there. Put it in Bollywood. Tell the call up Bollywood. Tell them, man, I'm ready. I'm ready to go, and I got a lot more. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was it was it was a whole new form of evolution from what you've been putting out. Uh, I still remember the very first song of yours I heard was "Sweet Mary." You know, that's a song. <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's it's different. You know, yeah. Phases. Life yeah. is uh, different yeah. phases too. You know, and yeah. I love to follow my uh, my meta. You know, the changes and uh, metamorphosing myself into something mm-hmm. different, and uh, I just love it. You know, change is good. Change, change is, good. is really good. Is- yeah, and right yeah. now I'm completely changing, man. I'm changing for real now, you know. Duro Wakanda is just uh, Duro Wakanda is just three percent of it. I'm coming with some. <laughs> yeah, bring it on. It's, bring it on. Yeah, India's India's waiting for uh, Mr. Bona's entry into the Bollywood uh, music space. <laughs> Let's do it, baby. We're gonna Bollywood that thing, man. Different <laughs> Wakanda, you know. Yeah, that'd yeah. be that'd be a dream come true. Yeah, I can't wait to come back to India. Seriously, you know, it's been a long time. And uh, and I was really, I mean, I was surprised in a way when I when I came to 
India to see how many fans and all. Because, you know, it's far away. You think always, oh, it's too far. But with the internet today, it made the world so small. Well, man, you get to a place and everybody's like, man, I know this, I know this of you. Yeah, we play, I play this. And I'm like, wow, you play when you play it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I miss these friends in India, man. Uh, I miss the, my friends over there, all the friends that I got, you know, and I know the, the closer place too. I used to go at uh, Blue Frog. Oh, Blue Frog. Mumbai. Mumbai. Blue Frog. Yeah, I heard it closed down. Man. Yeah, they closed down. Yeah, they also closed the one in Pune. Yeah, it was quite quite disheartening to watch the entire beautiful group. scene, man. Loved it, and uh, yeah. So I hope to come back again and uh, hook up with the friends. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Interestingly, some musicians I've come across, you being one of them are able to blend two completely different musical forms and create something that becomes a new classic altogether. It has normally stayed with novelty and it's only very rarely that two people have looked to say that you're trying to do a fusion between two different musical styles and you create a vitality for a while and then it's forgotten. What is your take on something like that? When we go out there, writing music we do not go out there trying to i mean i don't go out there trying to change scene or create a style the friends makes it a new style the consumer yeah. makes it a new style Correct. but true artists yeah they just they just speak with their heart <laughs> with their artistry with their you know their craft mm -hmm. and uh and put it out there. I don't think any artist go there, a real artist, I'm talking, okay, when you go record company, sometimes plans, okay, we need to sell this, we need to get this here, we need to get about 50,000, no. <laughs> a real artist doesn't think that way. Yeah. You know, when, yeah. when I'm writing, really just kind of dig into my heart mm -hmm. and uh, see what is now there. You know, with that, any other plan behind it. I'm doing Duru Wakani. You said, I said, man, let me try to blend a new sound here, this new sound with uh, the Afrobeat I grew up with, this thing, and, uh, and there it comes now. And uh, we also, in a way, we are messengers okay. to this life. We are kind of messengers. Why us? I don't know. We we actually have we are there blending and showing people that it is possible. Showing them that it is possible. <laughs> Why not? I could blend my hometown with uh, with the Asian, with the European, with the easily. It's easy when it's done with love. So what makes me blend the thing? What makes me go and I've been writing stuff now with some Egyptian musicians from south of Spain. Why in Spain? Yeah. And uh, why why try to go write in India? Why why go on that far? It's love, embracing, and uh, the need to learn. I learned so much just. I went to India only three times. 
But you have no idea, my friend, how much I, how much I had to learn. I got to learn this on three trips. I'm like, man, if you drop me in, in India for six months, man, I'm going to run this thing, man. <laughs> yeah. I become the number one classical Indian. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's just, uh, it's the beauty of it, you know, and you can't. You can't even describe beauty. It's just it, it's touchy. It's uh, and uh, in a way, yeah. That's why I believe that uh, that I don't believe in God, but this is a way of showing us the mystery of all things behind. Why you have to go this far to to do this collaboration? You could just do it in your hometown. You could just now. You want to hear that that. Mm. <laughs> from India or from South of Spain or from Nigeria, from uh, anywhere around the world. You know, I remember one thing that stuck in my mind. I went to Azerbaijan oh, wow. one time. Yeah. yeah, I had a show in Baku. Mm. We went to eat. And in the restaurant we were eating across the street, there were an old lady singing. Mm-hmm. Oh. I stopped my dinner, I told the guy, I just hold now for a second. This is where you going? Uh, I went there, I stood there for like 30 minutes. I was listening to this old lady. She was walking in the little tiny little house and singing one of the most beautiful melodies ever. I didn't want to bother her. I was just like outside pretending to do something else. But I was at my ears were like <laughs> beautiful. And I still remember, I wish I could, you know, those are the moments right there for us artists. Mm-hmm. That's, that was the moment right there that captured my attention. And uh, how do you explain that? I don't know, you know. And that's, that's what music is all about, you know, learning as much as we, we could and trying to, Get that and feed into your music, into your culture, and put it out there, you know, and in showing people like again, it is possible. Yep, it is possible. Nothing always. is impossible. No. At least uh, when Mr. Bona says it, we'd like to believe so. <laughs> yes, and uh, this is our heritage, you know, all of us. This is our heritage. Yeah. And now you feel free when you embrace this way. You really feel free. Uh, you feel like I could be anywhere. I could yeah. be in Chennai. I could be in Tokyo. I could yeah. be anywhere. I feel. I yeah. feel home. You already embrace that. That thing, you know. So, what about the non-performing baton and life in general? We become a society that wants to keep holding on to youth, to duty, to what have you. Do you feel the process of ultimate disintegration giving in, perhaps? Repeat your question, please. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, so I would like to know a little bit about the non-performing baton that you carry and life in general, apart from the musical bit. In terms of a society, uh, we definitely want to be as young as we want to be uh, and we want to stick to our duties, to what have you. So do you fear the f- process of ultimate disintegration, perhaps, giving in? 
at a certain point? Yeah. I mean, youngster today. Yeah. First of all, an experience that you 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 have like mine is meant to be shared. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not meant to be kept. You know, and uh, and in this process of sharing, it, it is actually a duty. You, you see what I mean? Yeah. It's a duty to me. It's mandatory to me. Mm-hmm. When I choose to to meet youngsters today, some I get to places where when I have time, I insist in meeting young musicians. That's the reason why, because I feel like uh, I had a unique experience in music, in life. You know? I had a unique experience and uh, would be a selfish behavior on my part not be able to share it with the youngster. So it's a duty to me today. Like it's actually a duty to any anyone who has a knowledge about any form of uh, you know form of thing and get out there and uh, and share it, especially with the young people. Now we'll move on to the last segment of our interview, which is the rapid fire segment, wherein I'll be shooting across some spontaneous questions. You don't have to think too much; it's very very easy. And you can be yourself, you know. Okay. Feel free to be yourself. Easy question. Easy yeah. question. We go now. What's your name, Richard? <laughs> if you were given a chance to promote Duru Wakani in the form of a hook step challenge, like a dance challenge, what would the signature dance step be? Could you demonstrate it to us? Lovely. That's it. Lovely. If I if I were to ask you to scat your way through and tell us your experience being on this interview with me in the form of five words, how would you go about it? Can you demonstrate? That sounded super eclectic, and I'm guessing you had fun. <laughs> I hope so. I don't know what I say. But... So, Mr. Bonap, what is that one song that always makes you cry? Oh, a song that makes me cry. Mm-hmm. I don't cry listening to music, to be honest. Okay. No, I'm I'm being honest. You know. Okay. All right. On the contrary, what is your favorite guilty pleasure song? Let the good time roll. Quincy Jones. Could you hum it for us? No. What was the hook again? Man, I haven't listened to it in a long time. Yeah, 
That's big band stuff. <laughs> lovely, lovely. Sounded lovely. I have one last question for today. Uh, yes. It's it's a custom in all of my interviews, and I ask all my special guests this one question. Mr. Bona, down in the distant horizon, what would you want to be remembered as? I don't want to be remembered. For a good reason that in a hundred years from now, there won't be any living species that has seen you. You, you see what I mean? Yeah, of course. In a hundred years from now, nobody has seen you. Sure. And when that moment passes, Nobody will remember you anymore. <laughs> it's a very it different up, take. Yeah, it's a very different take. People could say, yeah, they remember Jesus. Go like, you saw him? I'm being honest. It's just yeah. people remember you. People will remember you as long as they interact with you or they saw you. Nobody will remember you 100 years from now. So therefore, they will listen to your music, they'll see your art, they see your painting, but nobody actually will be able to remember you. Got it. So before we conclude, I'd also like to say that this interview is going to be aired on two major radio stations in India, Big FM Shillong and Azal in the northeastern part of India. And this interview will also be on Apple Podcasts, YouTube and soon to be out on Spotify and other digital platforms like Google Podcasts, etc. And my show is called Stalwarts of Music with yours truly, Aditya Veera. <laughs> so as we, as, as we continue to celebrate a dozen marvelous musical pieces, the showmanship you have displayed in terms of your vocal abilities, your songwriting, your bass playing, it plays a very rich and intense life that all of us sort of await to watch. So without, mo without taking more of your time, I'd like to conclude the session. Thanks for tuning in, Mr. Bona. It's been a great blessing, honor, and a privilege. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. Please do stay in touch with me. And, Thanks a lot. We'll be and, and, and I would love to share some incredible Indian music to you. I will. I will stay in touch. Thanks so much. Much yeah. blessings. And uh, thanks to all the listeners. Uh -huh. And uh, I hope I get to... Baby, won't you please come home? I get to go to India. Then we carry in this house. You go Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Mr. Bona. All the best. Much Take love. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.